I've, I've, I've watched that video now. Uh, I, I promise you, at, at least 25 times. I've, I've known about this account, uh, the very said Sunday, that, you know, her name is Gina, but I always call her Gianna anyway, but... Uh, you know, the, the, very, the, very, the very next day, the very next Sunday uh, that she, uh, you know, uh, was here, uh, I, I preached that Sunday. And um, I, I'm just sharing this story with you so you could, you could get some, some context to this. I remember uh, that day I had preached a, mes- a message entitled, Still Standing, Still Standing. And, and while I was done, well, I should say getting ready to be done in my 20 minutes conclusion, <laughs> uh, so just so you know, I remember specifically, it, it was clear as day. I've had those times before and, and never really paid attention, but, but, but this time, it, it was as clear as day and I heard a voice while I was wrapping up my conclusion, getting ready to extend the invitation. I, I heard a voice in my head say, someone here has a testimony. If you uh, have a history of growing up in our fellowship, you know that there are some statements and some phrases and some trigger words uh, that was frowned upon uh, in our fellowship many years ago. Uh, that statement of testimony has been one of those areas and one of those phrases, those words that we as a brotherhood has, have not captured and, uh, and we have not really embraced. But, but all of us, if we're honest, we do have a testimony. And, and that particular morning, I, I, I heard a voice clear to me. It was, it was as if, and I'm sharing this with you, you guys could... Uh, decide what you, you want to do with this uh, at the end of this exhortation, but it was if, as if I could see no one in the crowd and everything just went white and, and I just clearly heard a distinct voice that said, somebody here has a testimony. And as soon as we were done, Gina makes a beeline for me and she just kind of falls on my shoulders, and it's not something she, she would often do in terms of just, you know, falling on, on my shoulders and just bursting out into tears, but this was a day when she just fell on my shoulders and just burst into tears, and she began shaking like a leaf in the wind. And she simply said, I'm, I'm still standing. I'm still standing, not on my own power. I'm still standing, not on my own strength. But I'm, I'm here today present only because of the grace and the mercy of Almighty God. And church, I have to confess with you, her, her story has lingered with me from that moment to this very day. Because as I look at my life, I'll tell you, there are so many times, distinct times, when I could look back and I, I recognize that I didn't, I didn't have to be here. I wasn't supposed to be born into this world. I was, I was supposed to have drowned. I ended up in a car wreck where the, the car was totaled, and all I came out with was a, a little body ache, and my grandfather had a little gash on his head. I, I mean, I should have died on, on, a, on a surgery table. I, there, there are many times I'm saying I, I could look back in my life and realize, had it not been for the Lord who was on my side. 
And I just want to be able to identify this particular testimony on today because sometimes the people of God could get a little bit carried away with, with the ways of the world and, and using language like coincidence. There is nothing about coincidence when it comes to the man and woman of God. You might think that because if I wasn't too short or if I wasn't too tall, if I, if I wasn't this slim or if I wasn't this big, listen, there's nothing like coincidence. It's all God working. And so what might have seemed or deemed a coincidence, that's, that's God's angels. What might be deemed as coincidence, that's the Holy Spirit. I, I wish I had someone to speak, but what, what we might wrestle with and not be able to comprehend. That's God's protection and his provision. That's God's navigating. The bullet could have gone anywhere, but it didn't hit but the clothing. Had it not been for the Lord who was on our side. I remember this explicitly well because ever since that day, and I'm saying this to Gina right now, not so that she could change, but that she could be aware. Ever since that day to the present, she has walked as if every breath could be her last breath. Everything about her worship, everything about her praise has just become different. And I've seen it because I've been here about a year now, and I've, I've seen the transition in her life from then to now. And everything about her life now, especially when it comes to the things of God, is an expression of, I want to burn everything. I want to let this candle burn. I want this fuel to burn. I want the spirit. God, I want to offer everything to you because this could be the last time that I get the opportunity to do this. And I think whenever you have an experience like that, a life or death experience, it, 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 it shifts something in you. And, and I want to I help us understand, church, we don't have to have a physical life or death experience to recognize that we were, we were faced with a, a spiritual life or death experience. And God recognized that, that, that as we were going down a place that was destined for a devil's hell, he needed to send his son, his only begotten son, to die a cruel death on a cruel tree so that you and I would not have to experience the burden of spiritual eternal death. But now we can have life and have it more abundantly. So you don't have to wait, church, that's all I'm saying. You, we don't have to wait to have a near-death experience to, to allow the spirit in us to burn. We, we don't have to wait to allow things to shift in us. We just need to recognize that you and I were dead while we were living. But for the God who sent his son so that we could have life. But for the God who loved us more than even we would dare to have loved ourselves at one point. He sent his son to be a sacrifice. So that we could have life. A life that now is and a life that is to come. If you didn't know church, this is not my message. My message is actually taken from the book of John chapter number 6. And as I think about our exhortation on this morning, I just want to share a brief thought with us. I don't intend to be long, but I just want to share a brief thought, thought with us this, this morning because I think as we look at this particular text, you know, I, I really believe that God has something he wants to share and wants to say to us. So if you don't mind, allow me to just read 
uh, you know, verses 1 through 9, and then we'll come back and get a brief exhortation. And, and like I said, this, this, is, this is a very familiar text. I love dealing with familiar texts. You know why I love dealing with familiar texts? I love dealing with familiar texts because most of us have some type of association with the text, and it's easier for us to make connections because of our familiarity with these texts. But, but I want us, as we look at this particular text today, I want us to take a fresh look at a familiar text. So as a good friend and brother of mine would say, I, I want us to take a, 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 a drink of fresh water from an old well. In the Gospel of John, chapter 6, reading from verse number 1, it sounds something like this. I'm reading from the New King James Version. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself, talking about Jesus, knew already what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread, my Lord, is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have just but a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's, Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here with five barley loaves and two fishes, but, my Lord, what are they among so many that are here? Verse number 10, then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in numbers above about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and then the disciples to those sitting down and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remains so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Amen. Church, this morning for a few minutes, I just want to share a quick thought or message from this text I've entitled Little is much, little is much when God is in it. Little is much when God is in it. This text comes to us as one of the most familiar instances in Jesus' life and ministry. 
Most people that are familiar with Bible, most people that are familiar with Jesus' life and ministry would, would remember, if not be, uh, make some type of association with Jesus feeding the multitude. And so this text, among many individuals in Christianity, if not the world, this, this situation, the scene, and this scenario is a well-familiar scene in the life and ministry of Jesus to people out there in the world. But I want to share something really quick before we, we illuminate and pull out some things from this text. I really just have one main point, but I want us to keep this text in context in that John identifies this particular miracle as one of the seven miracles or signs that he identifies in his writing of his gospel account. And as you have heard me say in the past before, these miracles, these signs, were miraculous works that had a deeper spiritual meaning. Stick with me on this. So here it is. The, there is a miracle that Jesus is going to pull out in the forefront, but in the background there is a spiritual lesson that he wants to teach. There is a miracle that he brings out to the very, in, in the very plain view to be evident uh, among us, but in, in, behind the scenes there is a very spiritual and deeper spiritual reality. And so as Jesus navigates the scene, I want us to appreciate that Jesus is doing what he has been accustomed doing. He's been teaching and he's been healing. And, and so here it is, the people, the masses, the multitudes have flocked to Jesus for two reasons. Number one, they have been flocking to Jesus because of the miracles that they have seen him do thus far. That's number one. But number two, beyond the miracles, people are following Jesus because of his teaching. Don't miss that. Because sometimes we could find ourselves in one or two, if not both of those categories, all at the same time. We have some individuals who only follow Jesus for what Jesus could do. We have some individuals who only follow Jesus for the benefits of being close to Jesus. But then we also have some individuals, it doesn't matter the benefits, it doesn't matter what Jesus could do. They just want to sit at his feet. And I need for us to appreciate that as people of God, we need to be... Like the multitude that we see here to an extent. Let me show you what I mean. Because we see in the text that Jesus has been teaching them for so long. And he recognizes that something is transpiring in their body at this particular point in time. Any, anybody ever eat in the morning and then give you a couple hours after that you're hungry? <laughs> And so Jesus recognizes that, that some time has passed. I've been teaching these individuals. I've been spending time with them. They have not left my side. Some of them undoubtedly were following Jesus for the miracles that he did prior, but they are, they are at his feet. They are submitting themselves to him as, as, as their teacher. And Jesus has taken the occasion to share with them his teachings. His teachings involved the type of hearts that they were supposed to have. His teachings would have involved the kingdom that was to come. His teachings would have, would have involved the type of relationship that they ought to, to, to have between them and their God. His teachings would include the type of relationship that they ought to have with their fellow man. His teachings would include the type of spirit that they ought to have. His teachings would include the fact that they ought to be followers of him. And so he would take his time. You didn't rush Jesus is what I'm saying. You didn't rush Jesus when he was teaching. Jesus wasn't on the clock. And that's not me trying to make a job here. But I, 
I just need to preach truth. Jesus wasn't on the clock, and, and the people didn't give Jesus a clock or a time frame. Jesus, you need to speak to us in under an hour, because if you don't speak to us, we will leave. Listen, if you have to leave, leave. Because the word that I'm sharing here, this is, is life. The word is more important than even physical food. And, and, and recognize what's going on in the text. What's going on in the text is you have a multitude that's following Jesus for his teaching or for the word. But also they become hungry, but they don't walk away. They stick with Jesus even though there was a physical need. The hunger showcases that. But they recognize the spiritual need was more valuable than the physical one. We need to raise up a generation. We need to encourage people to recognize the beauty and the value and the priority of understanding their spiritual need as opposed to just the physical ones. But it's okay, right? Because if I were to promise you that if you would say a prayer, a thousand dollars would come into your bank account tomorrow, we, we would all be praying, but, but <laughs> I would. Full disclosure. But the point I'm trying to drive home is this. Here we have a comparison and a parallel of, of a physical hunger, but yet still it's a showcase for a spiritual hunger. And as you look at the crowd, we could look at the crowd and say the reason why the crowd was following, because John makes mention in the text, the reason why they were following and the multitude was following Jesus was because of the miracles that they saw him do. But I need for us to understand, and also see in the text, that in as much as they may have started off following Jesus, anybody here started following Jesus because somebody came to your door and told you you were going to a devil's hell if you were separated from God? Anybody here, you know, as you think about your upbringing and you think about the teaching that you were, you were given when you were younger, before you came to Christ, anybody here was, was taught all the hell, the fire and brimstone stuff, and so your determination for coming into connection with Jesus wasn't necessarily because of love, but it was out of safeguarding your eternal soul from going to a devil's hell. Anybody here? Sometimes you start off in your journey in, in, with not the right motive and not the right heart. Some people get rebaptized because they recognize that when they got baptized the first time, they got baptized because of some boy that they saw in church. They got baptized because of some girl that they saw in church. Some people get rebaptized, or I should say, baptized truly now because they recognize that they were trying to appease their parents. Some people recognize that as they got older, the reason why I gave my life wasn't in sincerity and in truth, but maybe it was because of the influence of my friends, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when you come to Jesus, it must be on the terms of you understanding who you are and who he is. So all I'm trying to say is we could start our journey off with ulterior motives, but somewhere along the line, if we're sincere and Jesus continues to work on our hearts and we allow the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does, we might have started with an ulterior motive, but our motives become pure as we progress. So they started following Jesus because they saw the miracles, but in the process of following Jesus, at least on that day for those few hours, their, their motives become a little bit more pure because why? The things he is speaking is speaking to us. The things he is talking about is really talking to us. And so they, become, they became so engrossed in the teaching that they forgot that they were hungry. You ever look at those kids? You ever, you ever look at kids when they're playing? I have a three-year-old, and he's already tech suave now, so he has his tab, his own, well, it's not his tab, it's my tab that he's confiscated, but it, 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 it's become his now. You, have, you, you ever notice with kids when they're playing, what goes on? You have to call them to come and eat. 
Left up to us, when I was a teenager and I was playing, you know, Nintendo, Super Nintendos and stuff came out there and we have, we have better consoles now, but, you know, I would sit down behind that game for hours and not move. I'm thirsty, but I, I, I'm not moving because I have to play this Madden, I have to play this, this FIFA, I have to play this NBA, I have to play whatever, and I'll play that for hours. I wish I understood the, the importance and the value of an adult diaper because I could have put that on and I could have sit down there and do my thing. But I'm telling you, if it, with Isaiah, when he gets his tab, he will stay there and he will play, 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 and he will forget that he wants to use the restroom. And then his mommy picks up a smell. <laughs> Isaiah, he would, he would jump out and then he'll, he'll take off because he knows. But guess the, the point I'm trying to make is this. If when, when we're having a lot of fun, all that other stuff is secondary. They were enjoying their encounter with the Lord so much that their hunger didn't deter them from being in his presence. Let, let me tell you why that's so important, church. If the reason why we are there is simply not to be fed by God, and as soon as external, if not internal, things happen, we, we'll, we'll struggle. We will struggle. And so we, we, we have developed this culture in Christendom. And uh, please don't think I'm just talking about Antioch. This is, this, is, this is on the whole. We have developed such a culture where we allow the world to dictate who we are and how much time we spend with God. It happens on a Sunday. You know how I know this? Because if you were to sit down for more than 20 minutes, guess what happens? Shake your foot. What's your time? And, and, and all that kind of stuff. We get, we get jittery because we have, allo- we have allowed the world to tell us that you could only sit for about 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes, and, and, and maintain focus. That's not true because guess what? When, 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 when Schneider cut of, of DC Batman came out the other day, <laughs> Justice League, that was three hours. I know growing up, uh, uh, you know, we, we would sit down and we, we would watch Ten Commandments. You had to sit down and they, they, they would show that in segments. Part number one and you had a break and then part number two. That was about three and a half hours, the Ten Commandments. Don't even start to talk about Lord of the Rings and, and all of these other shows. These, these, these are shows we would sit down and you know what we would say, church? We would say, well, that's entertainment. And I love the fact that you say that. I'm glad you mentioned that because if we could be entertained for two and a half, three hours and enjoy it, and we come to worship where this is life, and we can't sit for a little bit, and something is off. You guys with me? I, I'm not trying to complain. Don't, get me, don't, don't think Brother Morgan is angry. I want to say this with a smile, Tamika. Brother Morgan isn't angry. Brother Morgan isn't trying to make anybody feel bad. I'm just trying to help us to reckon. This is in the text, by the way. This is in the text. They recognized that, 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 that what Jesus was doing and saying was more important and more valuable than was, that what was taking place in the body. Because we know if he, could, if he could fill us spiritually, we know he could feed us physically. Don't miss that. They were, they were people of the law. They were people of, of the law of Moses. They understood that in the law even, the, the law had provision to take, to take care of people who didn't have. So if the law could have done that, then who is the Lord? If the law could make provisions for people who didn't have, if the law could make provisions for the widows, if, if the law could make provisions for the poor, if the, if the law could make provisions for the destitute, then who is or what is it with, when the Lord is on the scene? 
So here it is, we find ourselves in the text, and I want you to see this really quick because as we find ourselves in the text, we find this parallel of, of this physical hunger versus the spiritual hunger that is actually behind the scenes. And Jesus uses this opportunity. He uses the physical hunger. He uses the fact that they are hungry and, and they are in need of eating. He uses this as an object lesson for his disciples. Watch this really quickly and we'll be done. And so as he recognizes that there is a need, Jesus knows, church, the, magnanimity, the magnanimous nature of our situation. That is to say, Jesus is fully aware of how big our situation is. And so he already knew that there was a multitude. He already knew that, listen, I didn't really come here with physical food. We didn't have, but he knew what he was going to do. John is careful to mention that Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. That should help us. Because sometimes we get so boggled down with the intricacies and we get so boggled down with the details and we think that we have to be the ones to make it happen. Listen, Jesus got it. So here it is, he turns to Philip and he says, Philip, where, where are we gonna, what are we going to do to feed these people? And so he turns this, this very real situation into a test and a teaching moment for his disciples. Notice the three people in the text and the message will be ours. Number one, he turns to Philip. And as he turns to Philip asking what exactly would be done or could be done or, or should be done, Philip said to him, Lord, we don't have enough money for this. In the process of, of Philip responding, here comes Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, and, and Simon, Andrew comes and he says, Lord, if, you know, there's a little lad here. He has, he has a, you know, five loaves and two fish, but, but, but it's not sufficient. What is it among the many? So, so Philip said, Lord, we don't have enough money. Andrew says, Lord, we don't have enough bread. But the reality is, Jesus wants them to recognize, no, 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 it's not about the money, it's not about the bread, it's really about your faith. It's easy to, to begin listing the limitations when the task ahead of us is magnanimous. It's easy for us to start looking at the weaknesses when, when the goal seems too big. It's, it's easy for us to start looking at what we can't do when the thing that is in front of us seems so huge. It's easy for us to do that. And as Jesus looks at the scene and he, he surveys, he has his disciples with him. And it's interesting because as he turns to Philip, he's really speaking to Philip, but other individuals hear him. Notice in the text, he asks Philip, but in the very next verse, Andrew comes and offers a response. So that helps me to understand that he spoke loud enough so that people who were close by could have heard. Watch this. So Philip, being an adult, supposed to be the mature one, he was spending time with Jesus already as a disciple. Philip lost sight of who he was walking with. And in the moment... In the moment when faced with a predicament, he leaned more on Philip than he did his Lord. When faced with the predicament ahead of him, he leaned more on the physical man than the spiritual one. Don't miss this. So here it is, Jesus speaks. What are we going to do? Philip decides to lean on wisdom. 
Not a spiritual wisdom, but an earthly wisdom. Church, could I say this? Could I say this? Oftentimes, fear and faithlessness can masquerade as experience and wisdom. We need, we need to be so careful of thinking that we have enough earthly experience and wisdom to claim that everything that we've experienced in this life gives us the aptitude and the ability to make full-on faith-like decisions. And oftentimes what happens is sometimes we have situations ahead of us and, and when we have situations ahead of us, we start, to, we, start to, we start to number well. We only have 50 members and our collection only looks like this and if we were to take on this task, this, this thing costs cost, cost $400,000 and where are we going to get the money? Are we even using it? And I'm, I'm saying to us, we start listing all the limitations before we even begin praying about it. So here comes Jesus, and the predicament is a big one. Here comes Jesus, and he speaks, and Philip says, Lord, we don't have enough money. What, what, what do you mean you don't have enough money, Philip? You're talking to the one that, that has all the gold and the diamonds in the world. Andrew hears, and he says, look, and there's a little boy here who has a little, a little lunch, but, but it, it, it's not sufficient, it's not enough. He says, we don't have enough bread. What, what, what do you mean we don't have enough bread? He, Oh, you must not know that I was there with the children of Israel in the wilderness when they had nothing to eat. I would have rained bread even down from heaven. But notice in the text, we have Philip, we have Andrew, but we also have a little lad. Could I share this? We have this little boy. Church, there is something about children. You could call them naive all you want. You could call them foolish all you want from time to time to time. There is something about kids. That's why Jesus pulls a child on a couple of occasions at least and says, except you should become as one of these little children. There's something about children in their attitude, in their behavior, in their spirit that just speaks to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Here is this little lad, and similar to Andrew, he must have heard that my Lord was trying to feed this multitude. And in the crowd, he, he takes stock of what, not what he didn't have, but he took stock, Carlos, of what he did. I know it's a multitude. I, I, I could barely see past maybe people's crutches. I, I, I know I'm not that tall. I, I know I'm not that big. I certainly don't have a lot of money in my pocket, but my mommy and daddy sent me today with five loaves and two fishes. And so even if it could touch the throat of one or two, it's going to help somewhere, somehow. This little dude was willing to take the little that he had and just give it to Jesus. So you could see him. Can't you see him? Can't you see this, this, this little dude in, in the crowd and he has this, his little lunch and he hears Jesus maybe speak out to Philip as, as Andrew would have heard him as well. But this little dude is in earshot of hearing Jesus and he's like, oh, I, I can help. I, I, I can help. And so he, he, he pulls out his little, his little duffel bag with his, his, his little five loaves. I'm, I'm telling you, five barley loaves wasn't that big. Not, not unlike the dinner rolls that you would probably go and buy at Walmart. It, it wasn't that big. But in his mind, he's not studying what he didn't have. He's paying attention to what he does. 
we, we, I think we could do a whole lot more if we stop looking at what we don't have and start focusing on what we do. I think we could share with people the gospel a little bit more by not focusing on our limitations, but focusing on our strengths. I know some of us are shy, but, but we have a God that could help with that. I, I know some of us are introverted, but we, we, we serve a God when Moses tried to give the, give the excuse, oh, oh, what could, what could, I can't speak. He said, no, 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 you don't worry about that. I'll, I'll, I'll put the words in your mouth. We serve a God that, is able to, that was able to make the dumb talk. And I, I need for us to understand that it, it, with, with, with all of the limitations that we have, we serve a limitless God. That's all I'm trying to say. So we have Philip, we have Andrew, but we really have the little lad. And here is where I want to drop our text and drop our message on this morning. I really believe, church, that no matter what we have, as little as it may be, if we give it to God in sincerity, he's able to take it and multiply it. You you, you didn't hear that. I really believe that if we take the little that we have, Whatever that might be. Uh, when people say that now, they often use the, the idea of, of finances. I'm not talking finances only. I'm talking about everything. I'm talking about your strength. I'm, I'm talking about your health. I'm talking about your experiences. I'm talking about your family. I'm talking about your singleness. I'm, I'm talking about everything. If, if you would take the little that you and I have and just give it to God willingly in full submission, I'm telling you he has the ability to break it and multiply it. Because there is a blessing in the breaking. You, you, you didn't hear that. There is a blessing in the breaking. Could you repeat that? There is a blessing. There is a blessing in the breaking. And so we, all we need to do, this is, this is my message. This is the crux of my message. I believe that little is much when God is in it, but it has to be that we need to give it to God in full submission. Church, I know sometimes it's hard because you're going through the week and you work all the way up until 6 o'clock. But I'm telling you, you might be tired, but come, come to Bible class and fellowship just a little bit. If not, hear a little word. And I'm telling you, you give the little to God and he will multiply it. I know you might have a little bit of finances and you're wondering, well, what am I going to do this? And I'm telling you, if you, if you give it to God, I'm, listen, don't, don't, I don't want to sound like a, a, a prosperity preacher. But I believe wholeheartedly that if we submit to God and we give the little that we have to God, God is able. You didn't hear that? God is able. God is able to multiply it. Because he is able to take something and make something. I must repent. I'm done. I must repent. Thomas, you get up here. I'm done. I must repent. In years gone by, I used to say God will take, not, will, take, will, will take nothing and make something. And the more I study, now I realize that's, I mean, he could do it. He could drag nothing and make something. But everything that I've seen in scripture so far is he takes something and makes something. It might be meager, it might be minuscule, but he takes something and, and makes something. Book of Genesis chapter number one. Thomas, I'm almost on. In, 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 Genesis, in Genesis chapter number one, I, I, I just need to put this in. In Genesis chapter number one, you remember the scripture says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And, 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 and it says the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And, and, and we often run to that text to talk about the void, that the void means nothingness. Well, well void doesn't necessarily mean nothingness. But the point is when God created the world and everything that we see, there was something for God to work with. You, 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 you'll get that just now. 
there was something. When, when God gets ready to work, there must be something there for him to work with. <laughs> in Exodus chapter number 14, in Exodus chapter number 14, there, you, you know, the, the train of Israel are led to the Red Sea, and uh, in front of them is this, is this sea, and to the back of them is the chariots of fire, and in front of them there seems to be like if there is no way. There seems to be. But God proves that even though there seems to be nowhere, if you trust me, I'll create a path for you. Because he's a way maker. You, you, you didn't get that. You, you didn't get that yet. All right, all right, all right. In John chapter number 2, we dealt with this text a few weeks ago. In John chapter number 2, the wine runs up. And Jesus tells the, 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 the servants of, of, of the delegation, he says, listen, I need for you to go and get these six water pots and fill it up with water. I promise you, if they had not followed the instructions, no wine was coming out of those pots. But he takes the little that they had, and he, and he turns it into something. You, you, got, you got, give me two more, give me two more. In, in, in Matthew chapter number 17, Jesus has just come down from, from the Mount of Transfiguration, and he finds a situation with his disciples that, that had somebody in front of them that they were not, were not able to heal. And so they, they, they say to Jesus in privately, why weren't we able to heal? And he says to them, listen, you, you guys need to understand if your faith was as small as a mustard seed. You may not feel like you have big faith, but all you need is a sincere one. You may not feel like if you're, you, 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 you need to put your name down in the, in, the, in the hero's hall of faith, but all you need is a sincere quantity of faith. And Jesus will work with that. Because he's a God that will take something. It doesn't matter what it is. Remember the widow and the two mites? That was something. Remember, you, you, you guys know what I'm talking about? That was that was something. Little is much when God is in it, but we have to come to Jesus, come to God with something. As little as it may be. Let's stand. I'm done. Let's stand. Let's stand. I'm done. I'm done. I know we don't always feel like, like worshiping, but you might be frustrated, you might be downtrodden, you might be beaten down, but I promise you, if you just give God whatever you have, he's able to take it and multiply it and bless us in a way the likes of which we have never experienced before. Because my God, your God, my God, yes, sir. your God, yes, sir. my God, yes. Gianna, and your God yes, sir. is able. Amen.